Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we are continuing our coverage of Star Wars Rebels Season 4, Episodes 5 and 6 with myself, Enrique, and Sarah Hayashi. All that more after a commercial break we have no control over. Back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined, as always, for all things rebellious by those two California rebels wanted by the Empire, Sarah and Ricky Hayashi. How are we doing tonight? Good. Always. I'm always here for every Rebels episode. Welcome back. <laughs> you know, schedules are hard. There's bombings to do. There's spy planes to inter- spy. Th- I don't know. You yeah, know what I mean. it's good. Anyway. Transmissions, uh, all that stuff. For any NSA agents listening in, we are talking only about rebellion in the Star Wars universe. We are all good, upstanding. Yeah. Anyway, no, you're the only. You're, you're the, the only, only citizen. Here, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm the only American here, but um, not a choice. But anyway, moving <laughs> along, we are, we are citizens of the world. We have uh, multiple continents and hemispheres represented here, uh, all coming together for a love of rebellion in the Star Wars universe. Um. Yeah, so we're talking about episodes five and six, and I think the best thing is to do, let's just kind of jump right into them. Um, we'll go over, uh, as always, this is for people who both know these episodes and who haven't seen them before, so if you've been watching along with us, great. If you haven't watched in a long time, or you've just never seen it, don't worry, we will give episodes spoilers. Uh, we will give episode summaries, which will have spoilers, uh, but just kind of starting off, what you guys overall thought of these two? It's good. Rebels is great. Um, it's, yeah, it's been a hot minute since I've watched some Rebels, um, Mm -hmm. so it was just, like, nice to be engaging with it again, um, and it's, like, the last, the, is this the last season? We don't have a season after this. This This is the last season, yep. Last season? No, the next season is coming out in live action. (laughs) There's actually been talk, I I believe Rosario Dawson has said that it's basically Rebels season five. That's awesome. The Ahsoka show. This is the last episode of animated Rebels content. Yes. Yeah. The, and the, the, the only thing we have access to right now. Um, exactly. But yeah, it's just like, it's getting really good. And um, mm-hmm. I think like we were, we were talking earlier a little bit about how we're at that stage where even though we have distinct episodes, there's like this building through plot line that's yeah. been coming. So yeah, it's just, it's great. A plus super yeah. great. Yeah, these episodes, there there are some people out there who might derisively call these filler episodes because they are. It's kind of a transition. I prefer to call it a setup mm. because you have yeah. to set up the final arc of the season, taking this rebel cell, you know, from Yavin back to Lothal and setting up the final conflict with Grand Admiral yeah. Thrawn. Yeah, I think that's really true, and. It is fair that the season has started with two two-episode arcs. So one and two were an arc, three and four were an arc. This is our first kind of individual episode, and we're going to get, I think, the next four or six are all uh, one-offs like this. But as you said, Ricky, it's filler to me is, and I don't think filler is bad. I think sometimes it's nice just to have like a day in the life with our characters. But to me, a filler is if you removed it entirely from the season, the later episodes would all still make total sense. Mm-hmm. And here, it might make sense, but you'd miss so much. You know, this is setting up both it, it is it is moving the the chess pieces on the board to get them in place for what later happens, but it's also setting up some really important emotional beats. You know, that I think 
tells us more about our characters and tells us more about where we're going to wind up. Yeah, I agree with that. Woo! Woohoo! Sorry. Let's do uh, some episode summaries. So, starting with episode five, The Occupation. The rebels are informed by Ryder Azadi that the Empire is building a new and improved version of the TIE Defender. Ezra and the Ghost crew depart for Lothal, using Vizago to smuggle them in because the Empire has severely tightened its grip around the planet and nearly crushed the local rebel cell. They find the environment ruined from the Empire's activities and that some acquaintances, like Old Joe, were arrested and executed for aiding rebels. Identified and chased, Ezra crew finds unexpected aid from Ezra's old academy friend, Jai Kel, who never says it's rough, buddy, but is voiced by, um, uh, oh god, I can't, uh, Zuko, I, I want to call him Danny Zuko, but no, Zuko from, uh, Avatar <laughs> The Last Airbender, oh not Danny Zuko. Oh my gosh, Danny I didn't Zuko. realize that. That's yep, great. It's the voice. It's the voice. Uh, rescued by him and Azadi himself, who ferry them to safety but are sorely disappointed to hear that the Rebel Alliance is unable to execute a liberation strike on Lothal. Ezra tries to stay optimistic by telling them that they can destroy the TIE Defender factory by working together, though Zadi remains skeptical due to having witnessed the capabilities of the new TIE Defender. Yeah. So I think the first thing I want to talk about with this episode is one of the plot points that they've been building all season is this idea, and kind of really all three seasons, is the idea of, is a rebellion a bunch of individual people who are all trying to deal with the way that the Empire has done damage to them and their people kind of working together, or is it a bunch of people who have all said, for whatever reason, including the damage the Empire may have done to me, I am working for the end of the Empire. Because I think that's the tension that we're getting from Ezra this whole time. On the one hand, he wants to sign up to fight the Empire, but he wants to do that mostly because they're attacking Lothal. And, like, I think what's very clear is, you know, because what Mon Mothma and others are saying isn't cruel. In some ways, I think it is legitimate strategy of we have to look at the bigger picture and everybody comes from a Lothal that is being horribly treated and we can't give them favoritism because you're with us. and But he wants to go there, and this is where there's now a strategic reason to go there. Um, so, yeah, how do you kind of feel about how that storyline is, is playing out and how Lothal is becoming our focus? Well, for me, <clears throat> it's not just to end the Empire. I don't know if they actually use this phrase ever in this show or in any of the new Disney stuff. But in Legends, at least, the Rebellion was known as the Alliance to Restore the Republic. Like, that Mm, was the official term for it. So I think that has always been Mon Mothma's goal. Right. Mm. And Ezra literally being born the day that the Republic died, it makes it... He doesn't know what the Republic is. He's never lived Mm -hmm. under it. Yeah, Mm. and I could also, like... I mean, I feel like folks like Saw are probably not exactly Um, Mm pro-Republic. But, yeah, I think that the thing about Lothal and, like, everybody coming from a Lothal, like, stuff happens on Lothal. Like, Lothal is obviously a a special planet, just by, like, virtue of the stuff that's going on there. It's no Tatooine. It's no no Tatooine. Um, Tatooine, come on. Oh, sorry. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there's... It's a big, important place, but also Ezra is from there, right? So, him... 
making these personal promises to Azadi. Ezra sees this as, like, he's not living up to his end of the bargain. And I think, right. like, even though Mothma is very logical and very reasonable to say, like, you know, everybody comes from a Lothal. A lot of people have made promises. I understand why Ezra is upset by that. Yeah. And that, like, as soon as there's, like, even a... T- like, But I, I do like that, yeah, Mothma, as soon as there's even, like, a tiny opening of, like, a reason to, like, maybe get onto Lothal, she's like, hey, Ezra, come on. You're you're gonna go to Lothal yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. He reminds me a lot of Cham Sandula in that regard, you know? Mm, and mm-hmm. Ansar Guerrera, I think it's interesting that he's our point of view character, so we have a much more sympathetic view towards him, but it, like, it's kind of, I think what I'm kind of getting at is, yeah, I don't, I don't think either Mothma or him is wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I think in terms of, I think the, the overall goal is to restore the Republic and the Empire, not to bring back this one specific planet, so I, I'm going to agree more with Mothma. But I see both sides, you know, and understand why someone like him or Chamsundula even more is like, I don't, I don't care about the Republic. I don't care about this empire. I care about my planet. Yeah. And I think that's like, I mean, that's like the main difference, right, between the rebellion and the empire, among many others. But like the empire has like a very fixed, very specific get in line or get force choked goal. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the re- the rebellion, it's like a bunch of people moving towards not empire, like you'd mentioned, and right. like what the end goal is, I think is maybe still a little obfuscated, or like people have different ideas. This whole like yeah. the I guess in the legends canon, like you were saying, restoring the republic, but I don't even know if that's like every rebel's goal, right? Whereas every member in the uh, empire is like mm. we're putting everybody into the empire. In the big picture, mm-hmm. you have to have some kind of goal of legitimacy, legitimacy sure. for movements like this, right? Like, there's the classic comparison of freedom fighter or terrorist. Mm. And I think one of the lines is that freedom fighters have some form of legitimacy with the people that they say that they're fighting for sure. and are also trying to gain some legitimacy from, like, in, in on Earth— from like world governments, from other other nations. Right. Here, like there's no other nations, but the rebellion is trying to gain legitimacy with the people who live currently live in the empire and and trying to point out that they are actually they should be a part of this because they are also being oppressed. Mm-hmm. Right. But like I, I mean like legitimacy I guess like I don't know, maybe I'm just like way too far off base, mm-hmm. but like I, I feel like the rebellion doesn't necessarily have a goal of and then we will rule it's just like the empire won't rule maybe your planet could rule itself and be like self-governed maybe we could go back to being like a bunch of self-governed nations we could talk about it coalitions who's to say like i don't think there's a Mm -hmm. like set goal of uninstalling one regime to like install another I mean, I think you're mostly right. I, I think Mon Mothma clearly has a goal. Mm-hmm, for sure. <clears throat> uh, and there are some people who are concerned that, it, you know, how much is Mothma... Like, and this is more stuff that comes out much more in the books. But Riki and I did a, a whole episode on uh, a wonderful book called Bloodline, wh- which one thing it was about was that once the Empire is defeated, yeah, this rebel alliance takes power and people have very differing visions of what it should look like. Mm. And that's... Um, you know, the reason why a lot of times when there is a revolution and then there's a whole bunch of instability and sometimes even civil war, it's because, yeah, the people who all bounded together 
don't agree on what comes next. I mean, that happened in this country where we had the Confederacy, the Confederacy of, uh, not the, you know, the, the the Confederacy everyone knows, but you know, there's the Confederacy of American States or something, mm-hmm. and then there's some fighting, and then rebe- and rebellions, and then we had eventually the Constitution and the United States of America. Uh, but you can look at it like in, in almost any country that's been, you know, liberated or come to have freedom after a time of not having so. Um, so yeah, I, I I I think you're right. I think it's. It goes back to that West Wing in space thing that, you know, <laughs> Ricky and I and, and Sarah and maybe five other people in the world would watch and most people get bored by. I would I, watch that, to be clear. <laughs> that's fair. It's fair. I, I, you give me Mon Mothmas and Champs and Dula and Saul Guerrera and Ezra and ten other people sitting around a table debating what the power structure is going to look like if they win. Like, I would watch that all day long. Mm-hmm. And four other people would join me and no one else would watch it. <laughs> I would watch the Rex and Callus go off and have some little ghost phoenix adventures while everybody else is on mm-hmm. the show. But yes, I see what you're that saying. That would definitely fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that what Sarah is describing here is more of the Princess Leia point of view. Mm-hmm. So it, in one of the novels, uh, we didn't cover it, but we both read it, Princess and the Scoundrel. Princess Leia is very much presented as a figure who believes in, like, people's rights to decide for themselves. Like, right. whether, after the Empire falls, like, whether they should join the New Republic or not. And I don't know that Mon Mothma's position on that is ever made clear, but she is so much more of a central unifying figure that mm-hmm. she might she might make, like, overtures of, yeah, you get to decide— but I think she would be much more, not necessarily strong arm, but trying to convince people to yeah. join. Whereas what, Leia is much more of a, no, no, you get to decide for yourself. Well, it also makes sense because, you know, Leia and Luke are pretty much the exact same age as I think they may actually be. No, I think they're like two or three days younger than Ezra is. Mm-hmm. They also didn't grow up with the Republic, you know? Um <laughs> I thought you were just going to, like, end that sentence of Luke and Leia are pretty much the same age. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, two minutes. A couple um, minutes, yeah. And, and here I will also say, um, I, I'm trying hard not to get... Because I know Legends goes very deep into this. Mm. And there's a whole thing in the original Thrawn books about how there's a whole section of the Rebel Alliance that broke away because they were concerned that Mon Mothma was becoming a little too focused on her own power and stuff like that. So I want to separate those. But, yeah, it's, it, it's a whole area that we haven't really explored. I think it's uh, absolutely legitimate because, yeah, she's the leader. She was a senator in the old Republic Senate. Like, mm-hmm. she was an imperial senator as well, but she was a senator in the old Republic. So she remembers that's what she aspires to, right? She wants to go back to that mm. right. ideal. And, and I think the phrase ideal is really fitting there because I think, and again, I'm projecting from the real world, but I think with good reason— one of the things that happens is if you're part of a system and then that system gets attacked, all of a sudden, not only do you want to literally defend the system, but you become very defensive of the system. Hmm. And I think there's a lot of people who'd be like, Dooku was, Dooku was kind of right. And the <laughs> fact that, that like the Republic had a lot of problems, it had a lot mm-hmm. of corruption, it had a lot of issues. Yeah. And yeah, someone like Mothma might be like, I don't want to hear that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, let's get back to the actual episode, though. Kind of <laughs> tertiary, but tertiary. Uh, I, I just this also reminds me that I really love how how loyal they are to characters they introduce, however briefly. You know, mm-hmm. like Ryder Azadi. This is like the third or fourth time we've seen him. 
old Joe, way, way back, they go into a bar where it's like the one bar where they don't want to listen to the TV during um, Empire Day. Mm -hmm. And then the soldiers yell at them to turn it on. And then, like, it gets taken over. And then old Joe, the guy behind the bar. like, But I don't think we've seen him since then, have we? No, I think that was the last... The last time. But he's, like, he's very memorable. Like, it was as soon as yeah. they said, like, oh, we're going to go to Old Joe's. It's like, yeah, oh, I remember who that is I for sure. I didn't remember that until they walked into the bar. Mm. And I was just like, oh, I know exactly where we are now. Mm. Sure. And the, the bartender who now owns it, the Imperial, um, Baron Fallon Rudor, was mm. also in the early episodes. I believe he's the one that they steal the TIE fighter from. In yep. like one and of the early can. hijinks. Oh, yeah. Neat. Who, who also was that. very much a play on the Red Baron, which I appreciate from German World War One fame. <laughs> yeah, it feels like we uh, we delved a lot into German <laughs> stuff mm-hmm. in this episode. I don't know. The and of whole... course, Visago. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Yep. No, I was just saying, like, Visago is another character that we get sprinkled in. Yeah. They mention Hondo. I know, we get a name check. <laughs> oh, so uh-huh. good. We get Hondo, we get the... the lo- we, Wait, is it this episode or the next one where we get the Lothwolves for the first Lothwolves time? Lothwolves is the next one. Okay, so yeah. hold on. They kind of, they like blend together, but yeah. Oh, but we do yeah. get the Puffer Pigs back again. Yes, Puffer Zaga. Pigs are back. Very good. Yep. Yeah, yep. so I agree that they, this show do, does do an excellent job of taking what at the time you might have thought of as a, a one-shot character, but because they are a part of this world of Lothal, that... They they, re, they revisit them because mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah this yeah. person does live here so like we can follow up on a little thing that happened with them yeah but I feel or like a it's, big thing a big thing but I feel like it's also like if you didn't remember who Joe was like I don't think that's vital to the episode to know that like because I mean I think Ezra and Sabine mentioned in conversation like let's go to Joe's bar definitely won't be any Imperial soldiers there Joe hates yeah. them, right so it's like a nice little like tie up of like. We get a lot of Joe's character from that. Yeah. And then the Baron saying, like, oh, yeah, he's been executed for rebellion. You're like, okay, yeah. well, now I, I know exactly who this character is slash was, even if you don't remember or, like, didn't mm-hmm. watch the episodes that and he was to me, that's, that's the perfect way to do an Easter egg, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. where it, it, it pays off, but, yeah, you don't miss anything. Yeah, totally. It's not like... Oh, mm-hmm. what is it? Is it Glub Shido? Is that the phrase? Glub Shido. Yeah, or it's like, yeah. if you don't know this, you're just completely lost, but everybody else is, like, going insane about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everybody has a favorite. Yeah. And um, I can't believe that they executed Joe. It, it felt like a little bit of a throwaway line, and it didn't really hit me till like, a second watch today. Mm-hmm. I was uh-huh. like, oh, he, he just said executed. And yeah. it's kind of shocking. Especially because I think it was a really effective way of showing how much has changed just from season one to season four. Mm-hmm. Yes. Remember, in season one, like, he he twists the tail of those two Imperial soldiers. Like, oh, yeah. Te- they tell him, you have to have this playing. And he's kind of like, no. And then he only plays it when it, it turns out to be terrible for the Empire. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, oh, okay, well, you know, you're a citizen. We can't do anything to you. And now a couple years later, it's like, no, we can't do something to you. We, we yeah. can kill you. Um, yeah well i think and it's like they even reference those earlier episodes with like their wanted posters right it's it's right. the photos of them in season one and they like make a sort of throwaway line reference to it too but yeah it's 
we've come a long way. <laughs> yeah. I think another fun connection to this episode, and this is just something that comes later, but in the chronology is happening now. We've talked before, but especially for as we're getting ready for Ahsoka, which can have Thrawn in it. We've talked about how the Thrawn novels, uh, the first set of Thrawn novels written by Timothy Zahn in the Disney era, so not the original Heir to the Empire ones, but the more recent ones, uh, are happening simultaneously to this show. And the second book especially is happening uh, in between season three and season four uh, during the time when he has failed by letting them go on season three and and uh, uh, and, and Vader is poking him about it and kind of questioning his loyalty because of it. And in that book and then even more so in the book after it, one thing that gets revealed, and, and this is a little bit Zahn trying to be like, look, no, he's my, he, he's my glub shido. He's my favorite character. <laughs> you should, uh, uh, there's another term for like the, um, the, um, the, the, the villain character who we forget how villainous they are because they're just so great. It's like the poor little meow meow or something poor like that. Me- I'm, I'm not familiar with this term, but I, like, I get well, what you're talking about. Like, Loki is often be described. Like, yeah, he's genocidal, but he's so sexy. Like, you know, and I think... Um, uh, but what they do establish with Thrawn is that he is very... He, he, he basically, like, he knows that there's some secret project that uh, Tarkin is running, that he is trying to get... That, that resources for his TIE Defender project are being diverted away from his tied Defender project towards this secret project. Mm. And he comes to understand that it's the Death Star and he's very against it. A little bit for ethical reasons, but much more just because he thinks that like sinking all of your resources into one big thing that can be destroyed instead of like a hundred Star Destroyers or 10,000 uh, tie Defenders is just bad strategy. Um, and so it's just, it, it, it doesn't directly, you don't need to have read that to understand this. It came later. But it's a really nice under like knowing that we're getting to the Tide Defender project is really cool and you know how important that is to Thrawn and why. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I didn't I didn't I haven't read the books, but yeah, I mean mm-hmm. I that makes sense that like underpinning of it all. And it, it makes maybe makes Thrawn's actions in the next episode make a little more sense in my mind. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, the whole like like what you said about being against the Death Star for like logical reasons instead of ethical reasons, I guess. I mm. think that makes a lot of sense from what I've heard about the like later Thrawn books is that he kind of becomes like super powered Sherlock Holmes and mm-hmm. is like, no, I'm secretly like a, a good guy or like lovable rogue instead of evil criminal mastermind, which yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Not great, but even the Thrawn on this show I mean, later on in the season, he conducts some operations against civilian targets mm-hmm. that right. that show that he's truly villainous. So, well, in he like, did last last season too. He he attacked civilians. Yeah, yeah, and in this next in the next episode, the one we're about to talk about, like he just sacrifices his own people for funsies, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, we'll we'll talk more about Thrawn himself. We've done some episodes on Thrawn, uh, and we'll probably bring him back. But yeah, he. I kind of think you just have to acknowledge that there's three different characters. There mm-hmm. is original books Thrawn, <laughs> who is just I love the Empire, I love the Empire. There's this Thrawn, who is still that, but is a little less, you know, hand rubbing evil. Uh, and then there's the the more recent books Thrawn, where yeah, there's a whole like 
the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and so I have to work for the empire. The, the basic idea of it is that there's this existential threat to his people, and he thinks a disfractured, fighting-with-itself republic would not be as strong an ally in his fight against this other enemy as vampire. And a lot of people, therefore, try to say, but he, yeah, he still works for the empire. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just gotta say that there there's a fourth Thrawn, Ooh. which is the fan ship Thrawn with Eli Vanto. What's gotta who, acknowledge that? Who's Eli Vanto? He's like his subordinate, like his uh, his mentee. I see. Yeah. All who, right. There's there's it. It's in that way that like sometimes uh, a straight guy will write all sorts of homoerotic tension without ever ever having any idea that he's doing so. Sure. Um. But yeah, that that's a whole other story, and yeah, that, that I think that is. Those people are even more the like, you know, he's the 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 poor little meow meow, and I love Thrawn. He can do no wrong. But gotcha, yeah, yeah, like right. I, yeah. Anything else on this particular episode we wanted to talk about? Um, I think the 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 scene in Old Joe's is really interesting, um, mm-hmm. especially just like kind of wrestling with Ezra wrestling with his emotions in that scene, right? Like they go in thinking it's going to be a big old like screw the empire party, and it's like a full on like, Imperial bar now, yeah. um, right? Like, the, the Imperial March is playing in, like, mm-hmm. fun lo-fi form. But, um, yeah, and then, like, finding, like, hearing that Joe's been executed and Ezra can't really react to that, but obviously has a very big emotional reaction. Yeah. I think that, like, that little moment was, like, it was just mm. so well done, right? Because you even get that kind of, like, quiet like bombshell sound effect almost like it's not yeah, yeah it, it just it feels really powerful and sabine's realizing what's going on and trying to get ezra to hold it together so that they can yeah. like get their drink get out not alert much more attention but yeah i'm so glad you pointed that out because i think that's another way of like look how far we've come because season one even season two ezra would he would have just like freaked out and attacked mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a really good thing you pointed out. I'm glad you did. And and not just that scene, but the scene at the beginning where they're coming back on the ghost and Ezra wakes up and ha- has he's had a dream about Joe and Ryder. And the way that Sabine reacts to him and like the looks that like I don't know, I don't even remember if she says anything, but the looks that she gives, I found those to be like very important in understanding mm-hmm. these two characters and their relationship now and, mm-hmm. and their their bond. Like, I know, like, a lot of people wanted to ship these two. And, yeah. like, it, it never... Listen, it never happened on this show, but we're going to wait for Ahsoka. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think, like, it's better. It's better than just, like, if, if anything had happened between them. Like, they are such good friends that they understand each other so well in these episodes. Yeah, they feel yeah. more like siblings, and I think that's really important, especially because like Hera and Kanan, who right. you know get a, a few close moments together, who are like the mom and dad of the group, right? I think they even mentioned like we gotta go pick up the kids a couple times uh, in the yeah. previous episode too, right? Um, when Hera goes like full mom mode when mm-hmm. Saw kidnaps them, but yeah, I think it's like. Having them instead of being like weird fifteen-year-old kid crushing on the very cool artist girl, and it just being like a sort of sibling relationship mm-hmm. is really yeah. important. And in the long-standing tradition of 
first being in love and then being brother and sister. That's Star Wars. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, there's Yikes. that. But I, I was going to say, like, put putting aside that part of it, mm-hmm. I think this evolution makes total sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, they first meet. I don't think it's that he's, like, deeply in love with her. I think he's a 15-year-old boy, and it's like, he's ooh, pretty girl. Yeah, and she's yeah. cool as all heck. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's absolutely cool as all heck. And he's, like, he's kind of full of himself and trying to prove himself. And so he wants to, like, he's worried she's flirting with other people. But then, like, I mean... I have friends who I have incredibly platonic relationships with and kind of think of as, like, siblings who, yeah, I thought were really cute when we first met. And, like, I still can acknowledge their attractiveness now, but I'm like, no, I'd never think of them that way. Mm-hmm. It didn't when we met, but our relationship didn't unfold that way. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah, um, totally. So, yeah, it's it just – all of it is just so good. Yeah. It's It feels natural and it feels earned. Mm-hmm. And there yeah. are so many TV shows that fail this in this regard where yeah. they force characters to be together because that's what the writers had planned all along and wanted to do. And yeah. I don't know if that was going to be the case with these characters, but they just let the characters develop and let the chemistry between the actors develop and, and say, okay, this is what these characters would actually do if they were real people. Yeah, and I think that's I think where we true. are. I mean, it is one of the best examples of found family, you know, Cause, I mean, oh, yeah. like Garazeb and, and uh, Ezra are very much like, you know, feuding brothers and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Or like, yeah. I feel like Zeb's like the uncle who's like very, it's like immature uncle. And like, yeah. 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 That, yeah. He, he's a little, yeah. You're right. He's not another kid. Yeah. But he's like, you know, Hera's much younger brother who comes over and plays video games with Ezra and like yes. gives Ezra his first, you know, porno mag or cigarette yeah. or whatever it is. Uncle and Jesse. Like, yeah. yeah. I was going to, okay. <laughs> I knew it was a Full House reference, but I didn't remember the name, so I wasn't going to say it out loud. Thank you very much. Oh, I wasn't trying to make a Full House reference, but yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the All analogy. Right. Let's do uh, episode six. Uh, oh, Sarah, yeah. you want to read it? Oh, sure. Flight of the Defender. Uh, The ghost crew scouts an Imperial airfield where the new TIE Defender is being tested. Sabine hits upon the idea of stealing the flight data recorder to obtain the information the Rebels need about the TIE, but unfortunately, Grand Admiral Thone appears to witness a combat demonstration of the new fighter. Concerned, Sabine steals the fighter to get herself and Ezra to safety, but due to an installed kill switch, the fighter ends up stranded in the hills of Lothal. While hiding the TIE's hyperdrive for later retrieval, and then trying to evade Imperial search parties, Ezra catches several unexpected glimpses of a white loth cat and wolf as well. This just says wolf, but it was a cat. Um, a rare predatory species. Eventually, the loth wolf appears before him, sends Sabine to sleep, and carries them back to their friends, only to disappear as mysteriously as they appeared, leaving Ezra with a strain parting message, doom, to ponder over. And if you have the subtitles on, it ruins everything. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I like the Alice in Wonderland analogy of following the white loth cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the, the sort of duality of the cat and the wolf. Yeah, you really keep saying following the white cat. And I guess the Alice in Wonderland, but I think one thing they make clear is like they've seen loth cats before, but everyone yes. thinks loth wolves are extinct. Yeah, or they and haven't so seen them that- in a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there is like something special about the, the loth wolf, but the, the white loth cat, I think, is. Because, like, most oh, yeah, of the true. loth cats are, like, stripey. Like, this one's, like, pale white, like, almost yeah. an albino cat. Yeah. Which seems a little more special. And also so disappears what, and appears like the wolf does, so... Eh. What do you think they are? Loth cats? Or these 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 two beings? Just, like, the, yeah, the, the, loth, creature, the loth creatures that seem to have this, like... I mean, the, the, like, can, can, the wolf kind of speaks English words, and they have, like, a, a magical effect. 
Yeah. It's the force. I mean, it, the next episode goes into it a little deeper, so I don't know how... Okay, you've been spoiled. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. It's too no, good. It's I can't stop watching. Um, uh, yeah, I... I'll just say my theory because I, I yeah. have seen it, but I don't remember what exactly they are. Yeah, they, yeah. but they feel like kind of like living embodiments to some extent, or some kind of force connected creature. And I, I, the way the force is often explained in other things. I mean, midichlorians is the lowest point, but there's often a very kind of like scientific, like binary. And this to me feels like mysticism. Mm-hmm. You know, this to me feels like it feels like something almost like a Miyazaki movie. You know, and that there's often yeah. these like you know talking animal spirits that I. Um, from the very little I know of Shinto and 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 Riki, you can tell me what an idiot I sound like if I do, but like that that's He's like. <laughs> well, fair enough. Okay, so you may have no idea what I'm talking about, but you know, in other also non-Western religious traditions, or there's sometimes this, but yeah, the idea of like not like kind of like this the in, in animal spirits or other kind of like animist ideas that can be you know that can reveal mysteries or things like that, and this very much feels like that in a way that I. We haven't really had with a force in a long mm. time, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think the the Miyazaki tack is interesting, like especially like Princess Mononoke, right? The like I forget its name, but there's like a, the big old forest creature wolf. Um, mm. I was thinking more from like uh, Native American traditions of like spirit animals, spirit guides. But yeah, like you said, like any yeah. sort of animal tradition based ideology. Yeah, yeah it's. I like it a lot better than the, like, M-count hard science of how the Force mm-hmm. works. Because, like, dude, you use magic crystals to, like, channel light energy. That's as hippy-dippy as it gets. Just, like, lean yeah. into it. We're all fine. You don't need the scientific <laughs> reason for why this works. That makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, the, I mean, I... <laughs> the The sleep was weird. The wolf saying sleep was super strange because it's the other than Doom, is the only English that it seems to speak ever. Right. Um, so that that bit I, I thought was a little odd. And and even with Force users, I mean, I don't think we've ever... This is like Vampire the Masquerade level one dominate. Like, I, we've never seen this level of, like, speak a word and it has this, like, visceral physical effect on someone else. Have we? I don't think so. Like, maybe the Night Sisters had some sort of shenanigans mm-hmm. similar to this. And they're those sort. They're another, like, sort of outre force user group. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I, it's funny. I hadn't made that connection, but you're right. That's, that's, like, the Night Sisters are a kind of, like, mysticism magic that's very different than the Sith, but it's associated with the dark side. I like these as kind of, like, you know, they're not Jedi. They're not, you know, humans. That they're much more mystical and kind of otherworldly. But yeah, they're associated with the Force and the yeah. So actually, it's a really good connection. Yeah, and like I don't the, the whole like them both being white feels like they're coded for the light side. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe yeah. the Bendu would have some things to say about that. But yeah. Yeah. I would say that the Force should not make sense. Yeah. Yes. Like fundamentally. Like, trying to figure out, like, that's not how the Force works. Like, you can't figure it out. And trying to explain it, like, in your story is just going to get you in trouble. Oh, yeah. Like, for for writers. Like, it's trying to explain time travel in your movie. Like, never do that. (laughs) Like, just don't explain it. Don't explain, like, how it works. Just do it. And and 
you, the audience will be better for it to not have leave it explained. For, leave room for mystery. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember when I was very obsessed with Star Wars, I was very obsessed with Star Wars, but as a young kid, <laughs> when? we hadn't had any new movies yet. Uh, you know, this is when I was like, you know, 14, 15. Um, no, th- we didn't think we were ever going to get any movies. We, the, the Zon- I didn't really, really pay attention to the Legends books or anything. But someone who I played uh, D&D with told me he'd just gotten this book for the Star Wars role-playing game. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of fun. And like knowing what I did about uh, role-playing games at the time, I figured you were going to be like, you know, like bounty hunters or, you know, you weren't going to be Jedi because they were just way too powerful. And I was flipping through the book and then I got to the page that was like Force Powers Explained. And I slammed the book shut and like pushed <laughs> it away from me. And I was like, I don't want to read that. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to read like a game rules breakdown of how to use the Force. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I get it from like a mechanical perspective, right? But yeah. like, it's, it's magic. It's space magic. The end. Like that's, and I think maybe yeah. that's one of the reasons why I like Rebels so much is it it, it is very like, I don't know. How does the force work? It just does. And like, there's not this deep, like need to pin it down and like figure out the ins and outs and like all the sort of logical extremities of what the force is. There's just like an acceptance of like, it, you know, it's magic basically. It's like running through you. It's in every living thing. It connects us all. You can use it to make a magic sword and also maybe sometimes mind control people. Cool. Yeah. I think that works. And it's kind of the magic, not magic, but it, it's kind of the effectiveness of the character Kanan Jarrus mm-hmm. on this show as the the mentor is that he was a Padawan whose training was not completed, so he doesn't have all the answers. And oftentimes, yeah. like, he admits that. He's like, I don't know what, what this means. I don't know how this works, which is right. very different from the very authoritative, you know, like Yoda mentor because like yoda just knows everything yeah i mean yeah like yoda's been alive for forever Mm -hmm. um but also i think that's okay here we go we're like pinning down all the reasons why i love rebels Mm -hmm. but i I think you like you've hit on it right where like kanan hasn't been fully indoctrinated into the jedi so he can like go off and do his own thing a little bit and it is way less we are the jedi who know like samuel jackson uh, yeah. Mace Windu, right? Of like, we are the arbiters of truth and good. We know everything. We can do no wrong. And there is more of just a like, I don't know, we're just like tapping into this magic and trying to bring love and kindness yeah. and like freedom to people the best we uh, can. In, I'm going to get a little theological here, but it's all very connected. In The Last Jedi, Luke at one point has a line where he talks about how arrogant it was for the Jedi to think that they kind of were the only way to the Force. Mm-hmm. That line really resonated because that's one that gets used in a lot of religions, particularly the the Abrahamic uh, Western religions, but particularly for me as a Christian, because that that's an accusation that's often like, you know, that in some ways that was part of what Jesus was teaching was that, look, look. People have experiences of God. You don't need to go to the temple. You don't need to go to a priest to experience God. And then yet, because people like power and religion is a good way of power, all of history has been people saying, no, 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 you have to go through us to get to God. You have to use our... And a lot of people like myself who are very on the kind of liberal progressive end of our religion, you know, the stories make sense. But to me, all of it is metaphor. 
It mm, is, mm-hmm. there's a divine mystery of some God thing that I can never possibly put into words or understand. Um, but I find metaphors helpful, but that you really lose something when, when you forget that it's a metaphor and think that it's the truth. And so often we say that like there's a real power in someone who has experiences of the divine before they've learned the metaphors that they're supposed to learn to shape it. I think that's exactly it, is that mm. I don't think Yoda knows everything there is to know about the Force. I think if the Jedi have a very well-constructed set of metaphors to explain the Force, and Yoda's very, very good at those. Mm-hmm. But Kanan Jarrus, just experience, he experiences the Force outside of them. And I think it's not coincidence that he's becoming very popular and that uh, Cal Kestis, who is another lost Padawan from the Jedi Survivor video games, and Ezra and and Luke. Luke didn't really learn all of those metaphors. He learned a bit of them, but yeah. I, I think it's a, a theme that we're getting again and again and again. And it's, it's you're right, Rebels just is really diving into that. Yeah, totally. What does it say about these two episodes that we're spending an awful lot of time about the symbolism and the character development and the going off on these incredible tangents? We've said almost nothing about the actual plot of either episode. Well, that's why at the beginning I said, like, some people would call this filler. Mm-hmm. Because it's mm-hmm. just like, it's net, we're now on Lothal, but it's like adventure of the week on Lothal. It's like, let's, right. let's go find out about this TIE Defender. And then, right. like, hijinks ensue. Yeah. Right? But the show, like, as a whole is constructed so well that even though this is an adventure of the week, it adds so much to these characters. Right. And, and that's why I, I, I almost never like people describing things as filler. Like, every episode is still an opportunity to learn something about the characters and to, to fall in love with them more. Right. I, I think that there are... There are definitely episodes on shows where I don't think the writers take that advantage. And mm. I think that those are ones that I would... like. I'll, I'll give you an example, and this is one that the writers, as far as I understand, have confirmed. <clears throat> I think Jessica Jones Season 1 on Netflix is some of the best television that I've ever seen. And <clears throat> by about Episode 10, they're ready for the final confrontation with Purple Man, but they want... Netflix said they wanted a 13-episode show... And so then there's kind of this weird diversion into Trish's ex. Uh, and the writers have been like, yeah, we, 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 this, you know, we had a great 10-episode arc and we needed to make it 13 episodes. Uh, to me, that's what I think of as filler. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when, it, when it really feels like it, it's more about the number of episodes that they're supposed to get. Uh, but yeah, to, to me, this, the, the fact that there's so much richness and depth to this is what really makes it not that. And like I, oh, I haven't seen Jessica Jones. Are you saying those like bonus episodes? Y- you're kind of like take them or leave them, or you, do you think they like took advantage I of? I, no, I, th- I think they're. I think they add nothing, very little to the story. Okay. I think they're mostly boring and kind of frustrating because you're mm. so ready for the. And that's a, a lot of the times when I think when I do get things that I think was filler, and and I'm just one opinion. I'm not saying Ricky's wrong by any means. Um... But yeah, it often feels like it's toward the end of the season when like most of the pieces are in place, but we just need to stall a couple episodes till we can have our big confrontation. Yeah, I think oh, Father uh, Father Ted, not Father Ted, Ted Lasso, <laughs> different, amazing show. Ted Lasso, I think um, not this current season, but the season before, 
they had mm-hmm. two episodes like that. There's one where, like, the assistant coach goes on, like, a weird drunken bender. And I was kind of like, I could take or leave this. It's a little weird. Like, it's fun, but what the heck is happening? And then there was another one where they all go to Leslie's house for Christmas. And that one was, like, again, you could tell it was filler, but it felt, like, so sweet and so important for all the characters and you got to see a lot more of like their inner lives that i think it, mm-hmm. it it's doing sort of what the because like yeah the the, the actual quote-unquote plot of these yeah. next like few episodes could be condensed down into one episode of just action 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 but that's i don't know that's not fun that's not as mm. rewarding as like exploring the the nuances of these characters and like the relationships that are developing and like the political climate as much as i hate the like tax rates are going up sort of political stuff. I think, like, Rebels does a good job of, like, there's politics on the fringe, but, again, don't need to explain the exact minutia of, like, which trade agreements have been violated and how much different interest rates are going to be hiking up so that the finance corporation, blah, 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 I'm asleep already. Banking clan, sorry. Isn't there a finance group, too? I thought there were two. There's a trade federation. Trade federation, that's them. Yeah. And a corporate a te- union. Techno union. The techno union. <laughs> the techno union sounds rad as all heck, and I know they're not, but I just want to like... It's Yeah. It's 100%. <laughs> I, I do just need to defend um, that whole beard beer in Ted Lasso, the whole beard goes on a weird thing. I, I liked it, but I mean, it was strange. It is 100%. If you go watch the Martin, Sc- Martin Scorsese movie After Hours. Ooh, okay. It is 100%. The way like some say. like commu- community episodes or tributes like that is, it will make so much more sense to you. Awesome. Okay, yeah. I did not clock that in that, any way, shape, or form. That's what I wanted to say about, about you know, forced filler episodes, Matthew. Like, what you're mm-hmm. saying is, like, when there's a contractual obligation for X episodes, but your story... Your main story only requires X minus, you know, Y, mm-hmm. and you have to fill those episodes. I want, I want writers and showrunners to take a chance and to do something artistic, like you described yeah. as a tribute to Martin Scorsese. Or what I think of, like a classic case of taking a chance, was the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode Hush, which was mm. just a Monster of the Week episode. Mm. But it was like over half of the episode, none of, there's no dialogue. The characters are yeah. magically unable to talk. And it was such a groundbreaking episode of TV for that reason. Yeah. I, I actually thought you were going to mention another Buffy episode that I think was also like that, the, the body. Oh, um, oh, my heart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I uh, think that episode had more of a story. Yeah, hard plot. Reason. Yeah. Like, I oh, think sure. Hush... The, the gentlemen, like, we never see them again. So it was literally yeah. just Monster of the Week. But it was yeah. done in such a unique way. And that's I what I right. want TV shows to do is, like, try try something. Mm. Yeah. I, I think you're definitely right. I, I think ba- basically I guess what I'm saying is that sometimes due to contracts or other things, writers have to put in episodes that maybe they wouldn't necessarily do so. And it's an opportunity. And sometimes writers really knock the ball out of the park. And when they don't, I think filler is an appropriate word, but maybe there's a better word for it. Certainly, I think I'm using it very differently than the way filler is used today. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we're still now also way off the actual <laughs> But also, the TIE Defender. The TIE Defenders are well, neat, and Thrawn's here now. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about Grand Admiral Thrawn. He's never been more of a prick than he is in this episode, <laughs> right? He's such an like, ass. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He, the way... When Sabine steals the TIE Defender and she starts strafing 
the other tie interceptors at the base to stop them from pursuing yeah. right which is makes sense mm-hmm. and like i think volt scaris the test pilot is like grand admiral like we have to get out of here and he stands his ground he doesn't move an inch and just pulls out his little pistol blaster and starts shooting at a tie defender i'm like what are you doing it is like the most egregious example of villain plot armor that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Where it's just like, no, you should be dead. Yeah. And just the whole, like, letting, like, again, a I, I plot necessary for the plot, right? But, mm-hmm. like, the, the logical move when I forget her name, who's the Governor Price? Is governor that her name? Price. Governor Price. Oh, yep. pull that. Um, when she's like, we've got this kill switch, let's activate it immediately. The answer to that is yes. Let's do that and stop Sabine from flying around. I, I, they don't even know it's Sabine at the time. They think it's like just Ezra. But anyway, let's yeah. stop this TIE Defender from flying around in rebel hands. Good idea. But instead, Thrawn's like, no, nah, let's see how this plays out. Uh, mm-hmm. Send some of our folks after him and let's like, you know, I, I was here yes. to witness a test flight. So let's witness I, a test flight, baby. Yeah. I do love that moment, though, where he is like doing that thing where he like he has a lot of respect for the enemy in a way that like most imperials completely just oh like oh you're rebel scum you're hopeless he's like no these people are really good and where he says like you know someone else is like oh it must be Hera Sandula flying it he's like no our pilots are still alive like if it was Hera they would all be dead by now yeah, already if it was Captain Sindula they'd still Captain be Sindula, dead yeah. I respect and respect is weird because it, it it's like it seems more like a fascination like he's got this like he thinks he's way better than them, right? He's got a huge superiority complex about it, but he's fascinated by them. And I think, I, I, like, it's that more than respect. Like, I don't think he respects them. And this scene is just him flexing. Yeah. It's him like, oh, no, no, I figured it out. Ah, the Mandalorian is on board. Right? Like, it's right. just him showing off to his subordinates. And that's why, yeah. like, he. that's why I say he's a prick, like, in this episode. He does feel very... Yeah, because you're right, I, like... A lot of the stuff that I think of as respect is more like when he wants to give, like, he, he respects Hera's, you know, uh, culture. Uh, culture, and he, like, yeah. get, he, you know, gets mad at the soldier who doesn't and stuff like that. Because, yeah, this, I don't know. I, given everything I just said before, I shouldn't be like, no, this isn't the real Thrawn. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, he's the most, this is when he's at his most frustrated, you know? Like. Sure. No, I know, but it's, it's, I, it's a thing that I love about him is that he's a total mm-hmm. asshole. Get, get fa- family friendly. Family sorry, friendly. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay. Total butthole. In a, uh-huh. <laughs> is that good? Total jerk? Jerk? Is jerk yeah. good? Okay. It's a total jerk in the way that, like, is very charming, right? Like, yeah. he's extremely charismatic. He's very intelligent. He's also just a jerk. Um, and even when de- dealing with Hera's family... Um, Calicory. Yeah, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But other stuff, like the, all the art on... The planet that Hera is from, which is named Ryloth. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, like all the art, it, it, they've just decimated the people of Ryloth. But he's like, Mm-mm, not the yeah. artifacts. Like the artifacts that go into a museum and make me look cool in my office. Like it's a very colonizer mindset that I'm. Mm-hmm. That I like that they're doing as a villain, right? It's much more interesting than just mustache mustache twirling. There we go. It, I think they have him filling a very similar role as Callus did in, I mean, you know, the, in early seasons. Like, mm, mm, the name Callus alone tells you this guy is not, like, <laughs> Mr. Lovable Hoggy Guy. But, like, you know, in one of the first episodes we meet him, 
one of his subordinates like just asks a question and he like kicks him off the ladder to his death and we're like ah oh, we love this character you know <laughs> I, think, I think Thrawn fits a, a similar vein that's fair but, but the mutton chops though man but do oh, you think chops. with Agent Callus, do you think they had the whole thing planned out or was that a development like him and, and Zev and understanding the, the bow rifle was actually like gifted to him by the person he defeated like that I don't know I don't know whether that was planned or not but it, mm-hmm. they wrote they, they ended up writing it in a way that made that filled him out well yeah. as not just a villain yeah, and, and allowed for this transition for him to become mm-hmm. a rebel yeah, it, it's hard to say. On one hand, like, casually killing your own people feels like it's a little too far for the, we're going to redeem him one day. But maybe that's the brilliance of it, is that they were willing to do that and be like, but look, we're still going to make you, like, totally ship him with one of our heroes. <laughs> um, hey, they ship him too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, look, like... We have a child-murdering fascist who has killed millions of people, been, been directly connected in the killing of billions of people, and he helps his son, and we all love him again. So, like, this is nothing if not, like, uh, cheap redemption is possible, so. I mean, I don't... Do we, do we love Vader again? Is that, is that what's happening? Oh, I was trying to figure out who we were talking about. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the story tells us that he's fully redeemed and part of the Force again, and able to be a happy yeah. Force ghost at the end. That's... I, I, I like. I, I love a redemption arc, and to mm-hmm. me, I would be the first. Like to me, Zuko. Again, I wanted to say Danny Zuko. Zuko from <laughs> Avatar: The Last Airbender is a redemption uh-huh. arc. Oh yeah. Vader has a redemptive moment. He does not have a redemption arc. Yeah. No, I don't think Vader has a redemption arc either. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is it, Vader's. Vader's. Oh gosh, because Clone Wars and Anakin. But um, I could. Oh man, I'm not gonna get down a little Vader yeah. rabbit hole. But Callus, I think. I think Callus is a classic case of what we were just talking about for the last episode of um, Ezra and Sabine, where like I, I could be wrong. I don't think they planned out the mm-hmm. Zeb Callus romance that is very obvious and true, and no one can tell me otherwise um but because if you look i remember us distinctly talking about the first introduction of Kalos and being like "Ooh, this guy like i can't i totally forgot that this is how they meet because he is a grade a jerk um but you know that moment with zeb on whatever planet that was there's like an ice cave i feel like changed things in him and it was a very believable change and then like a change that happened slowly and then he became fulcrum and started working and like saw how gross the empire was and how not gross the rebels were and it's it made it believable right i think much more so than if it were planned out like beat by beat from the very beginning and i still say one of the most important scenes of the show was just him sitting in his room in silence by himself yeah so haunting and, and that especially, added so much to that character especially because little bit of spoilers for uh bad batch skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't care that scene is then perfectly mirrored with crosshair sitting alone mm-hmm. in, his barracks in bad batch so all right well, we've got about an hour any last comments either you wanted to make on either of these two episodes before we wrap up um it, 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 code names 
Are you Spectre Six? Are you Phoenix Six? Are you just Ezra? Pick a code name. That was cute. I'm like, well, yeah. actually, use your code name. Yeah, you, use your code name. <laughs> this is a problem. This is a problem I have with like any superhero show. Like I was watching the final season of The Flash, and like out no in the open, out in the open in public, um, him and his wife are just like calling each other Mister and Mrs. Allen. It's like someone, someone could be listening to this. I just they had wouldn't no spoilers. Know. I didn't know they got married. I haven't seen the last couple of seasons. It's okay. Oh man, they've been married for a long time. That's fair. I I'm going back and watching it from the beginning so I can get to those last. And I okay. I'm in the like the long period where everyone's gaslighting Iris, and oh, it's it makes me so angry. Jeez, yeah. Because it's uh, anyway. Sorry, I but, yeah. I haven't watched The Flash. I don't know what's up. But, tangent ever tangent, but yeah, code names would be better to have. Uh, they're not very good at that. Yeah, and also like, what's going on? We're in danger. Or like, you'll never believe it. It's like, just use your, just say it, just say your words, say it's Thrawn. Yeah. Uh oh. But I mean, I guess that's less exciting television. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you both as always. Um, for people who are just tuning in, a, I mean, go back and listen to we've been doing all of Rebels coverage. It's been super fun. Uh, but for people who want to learn more about the family Hayashi, uh, either of you individually are both creating awesome things. Where can they find them? Hello. I'm on twitch.tv slash rikipediago, R-I-K-I-P-E-D-I-A-G-O, streaming Pokemon Go battles most days. Pow, 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 pow. Um, and I am on Instagram, Sarah Hayashi Art, posting paintings and ceramics and all that kind of jazz. Nice, nice. I, of course, am the Ethical Panda. If you go to the website, you'll find all the ways to contact us. We love feedback. Love to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, tell us what you think about these episodes. Uh, also there, you'll find information about my other podcast, Superhero Ethics. I've been doing a bunch of episodes about the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies on Bingers Assemble, yet another podcast. And I'll soon be doing an episode. Those were kind of very nostalgia-heavy and talking a lot about why we loved those movies, even though in some ways they've really not aged well. Um... Uh, the second movie especially is just yeah, um, but yeah, uh, oh God, it's it, it, yeah. The, are you so are you preparing rare. for the new movie? Or are you going to do Dial of Destiny? Is that the goal? Yep, I have my tickets. I'm going to see Dial of Destiny the moment it comes out, uh, three p.m. on Thursday, and record on it that night. But also on my own podcast, Superhero Ethics, we will do an episode on the ethics of archaeology. Um, we, Whoa! And 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 we, including a subtangent on the ethics of dating your underage archaeology professor mentor. Uh, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Yeah, like, oh my gosh! I, I'd forgotten that she's just casually like, yeah, I was just a child. I was underage. She I'm was like, fifteen. She was fifteen years old. Did they That's ever actually cool say that? Yeah, she's twenty-five in the episode, and they say it was ten years ago. She was fifteen oh, years old. She wasn't even. I, he was um, her dad's assistant, and she was just. His yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I was listening closely to listen for what age she was. I thought they didn't say it, so I was like, maybe it's 17, 18, which is still horrible, but oh, God, yeah, no. It's, it's... Yeah. And he, yeah. yeah it's, but then they get together at the end, so that's fine, I guess. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, yes, but you can check all that out, and then also, I am going to start streaming. Uh, or going back to streaming, if you go to twitch.com slash theethicalpanda, uh, I should have some episodes up by the time this one comes out. Uh, I'm going to be switching, twitching, uh, streaming under the name Calrissian's Card Room, uh, right up until Disney tells me I can't, but by what I've seen, that should be a fair use name. 
Uh, basically, I'm going to be playing card games, either poker or Magic the Gathering, while talking about Star Wars and ethics and superheroes and whatever else is on my mind and whatever people come into the chat room and ask me about. Uh, so yeah, have a lot of fun with that. Check all that out. Check out the awesome things that uh, Riki and Sarah are doing. And most importantly, have a good day because y'all, we've spoken. <laughs>